Alrighties, hey, this morning, um, Lisa, I'll get you to um, throw the PowerPoint up there. Christian, um, last Sunday, if you did not get a chance to have a listen to it, I do want to encourage you to uh, drop back and listen to Christian's teaching. He did this great teaching on when God comes calling and I just want to leverage off that a little bit more because he he touched on some pretty significant things there last weekend. But let me just simply start by saying God comes and when he comes and invites us to be born again, to come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who came, who was born of a virgin, lived was anointed by the Holy Spirit through his ministry of the kingdom, through his death on the cross, through his proclamation of forgiveness from the cross, through his resurrection and his death, his resurrection and ascension. He invites you and I into another way of living life. And we're going to pick up a little bit on a guy by the name of Saul this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it up to the book of Acts chapter 9 and we're just going to have a quick glance at his life but when God comes calling what happens is as we heard last week from Christian is God completely reorientates our life around the centrality of Jesus around the centrality of Jesus and and we're going to read a little bit about how that very truth happened for Saul. His moment was a bit dramatic in terms of how God called to him. Uh, for some of us, it may not, we, you know, we may read this and listen to this scripture in a minute and we think, oh, nothing like that's happened to me, so maybe God's not calling me. Don't read it as prescriptive, but re- listen to it and read it as descriptive. There's elements of truth here about the way God calls to people. And just because it doesn't look like how he's called another doesn't mean he isn't calling to you and to me. It's very, very important. We get very prescriptive about things when really we need to listen to what's going on here by the help of the Holy Spirit and understand that it's there's actually dynamics and elements of the revelatory work of God that is at play in your life and mine, and we need to hear it like that. Now, Paul, uh, his name's Saul, he says um, in, uh, in uh, Acts 9 verses 4 and 6, I'll, I'll read it in a minute, but his is a bit more dramatic where he's, he's out actually on business, core business at this point in his life, is to find anyone who is giving themselves over to this new way of living. And the way of living, that this was what they were called. They were called these people of the way. And the word way, W-A-Y, was spelt with a capital W. In other words, they were these people whose lives had been interrupted by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And they were choosing to now live their life in a completely revolutionary way. Their relationships, their sense of community, their sense of um, economy, their sense of um, 
signs, wonders, healing, power. They're concerned for the poor. They're concerned for the sick and the isolated. They were living this different way and they had chosen to no longer live in allegiance to Caesar and or all of the pagan spiritual dynamics and practices of the then known world. They'd chosen to come away from that and follow Jesus a different way. It's important to understand that when Jesus comes and breaks in over our life and calls to us, he is asking us to let him be the centre and the king of our life. When Saul was on his way to kill these people of the way, flush them out, find them, prosecute them, and um, get rid of them, stone them, quite literally stone them. Um, It was in that context that Jesus interrupts his life. Now, you might not be going around killing Christians, okay? You and I may not be doing that. But Jesus still comes to you and I. And he came to Saul And as he did that, Saul fell to the ground and he heard a voice and this voice spoke to him. And the voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You got your Bible there? Let's let's read this. I'm going to read a big chunk of it here so you get the whole story. Verse 1, uh, oh sorry, yeah, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priests and he asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed round him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now, the men that were traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And they led him by the hand into Damascus. For, th- for three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. Now, in Damascus, there was a disciple of Jesus named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. There's already two different descriptions of the Lord calling to people. One was with this this light, this supernatural light and presence that was had vo- God's voice attached to it that literally knocked Saul off his horse. So there was obviously some physiological phenomena and weight that was associated with such a moment and he could hear the voice of Jesus and he is now a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way and God's speaking to him now in a vision. 
And again, in the context of this vision, he hears God's voice. Often, God will use a number of different ways to get our attention, however it is, natural or supernatural, so that we can hear his voice. He wants us to hear his voice. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house on Judas, of Judas on Straight Street and ask, a man, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his vision, his sight. That's pretty detailed. That's why I love that word about the maths. God knows the numbers. He's on the detail. He's into the detail. I, lo- I love this. This is a very, very um, detailed word from the Lord to Ananias. It's got direction. It's got um, also a, um, a sense of expectation and a, a sense of commissioning. Now, the interesting thing is, Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all of the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest anyone who calls on your name. The Lord says to Ananias, there's an exclamation mark here, go. I don't know what you're like, but I'm a little bit like Ananias when the Lord asks me to do stuff. Part of it's process, but part of it also is exposing unbelief. The fact that God's actually speaking into my life right now with such detail and he's asking me to do something that is beyond my place of comfort and in an invitation into a space of faith. How do we spell faith? R-I-S-K. We risk following God beyond where we're comfortable and into what he's actually doing. Okay, so the Lord says to Ananias, and the other thing is Ananias, he's, he's pretty honest, obviously. Hey, he's honest enough to realize God's speaking to him, and he's honest enough to let God know how he thinks about what he's hearing from God. Have you, ever, have you ever told God what you think about what he's telling you? There's room for that in the relationship, all right? There's room for that in the relationship. He's a good father. I've heard many reports about this man and so forth, but the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. (laughs) Hang on a minute. You're asking me, God, now to start to look and think about this guy according to the way you look and think about this guy. And you're asking me to surrender how I look and think about this guy. Hello? Hello? This man is my chosen instrument. 
How often do we look at people and we go, no, they couldn't, they can't, they couldn't possibly. doesn't matter what you're telling me, Lord. No, no, we need to learn to look at them through his lens. He's my my, uh, chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias, I'll give Ananias full marks here. The guy does it. He gets up and he goes. He went to the house and he enters it and he places his hands on Saul. He gets up close and personal to his greatest fear and threat. In obedience to the Lord, he places his hands on him and, and then look at the first word he, he, call, he refers to Saul. He says, brother Saul. So Saul now, in Ananias' thinking, has gone from be, being the murdering, threatening one to now, by the goodness and the grace of God, Ananias has chosen to risk following and believing God and what God says about who Saul is, and he is no longer the murderous, threatening one. He's now a brother. A brother. He's completely seeing him in a new light. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who's appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent seven da- several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all of those who heard him were astonished and they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is Israel's Messiah. And after many days had gone by there, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his fellow, his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, here's another top bloke, Barnabas, can I just encourage you, Maybe, you know, when you read the stories like this, it's, it's really, and, and because it is so focused on a person, on Saul, we get caught up in the, you know, the detail of the one character. But his life is interacting with all of these other Jesus people along the way. Ananias, the disciples, followers, Barnabas, Pay attention to all of the Jesus people that are involved in the story. It takes all of these people. There's no, there's no lone wolf. There's no solo, you know, influencer. It is, it is never that way in the kingdom of God. It is always as God touches one, he uses the many to bring through the great good news story. He always does it in the context of 
his people walking together with him. There's no, there's no room for the, for the, um, you know, the great celebrity. No, no, that's not the way in the kingdom. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen Jesus and that Jesus had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. He's, he's running into some angry crowds, isn't he? But when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit as it increased in numbers. Robert McGee says this in his book, The Search for Significance. The focus of the Christian life should be on Christ, not on the self-imposed, our self-imposed regulations. Our experience of Christ's lordship is dependent on our moment-by-moment attention to his instruction, not our own regimented schedule. Here is a guy and all of the Jesus people around this guy, Saul, who are giving themselves over not to their regimented schedule, but to the moment-by-moment lordship of Jesus leading the way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are the regimented schedules in our lives that are hindering us from living the life of the moment-by-moment lordship of Jesus Christ? Last weekend, Christian asked us a couple of great questions to reflect on. He asked us about who he has a very has has a strong understanding and purpose and vision for their life. Who he has a bit of an a whiff of an idea of of purpose and vision for their life, and who he has got absolutely no idea. He asked us these questions. He taught into them, and in this season of your discipleship with Jesus. Where can you and I hear or where are you and I experiencing God calling to us? Because God does want to establish purpose and vision into our lives. Where is he calling you? Where are you experiencing his calling? For some of us in the room, we may be at a space where we're we're kind of investigating, we're, we're drawing near, we're getting close, but we're responding. For some of us in the room where it may be, I've been, I've been um, you know, beaten along this trap, uh, track of discipleship with Jesus for a long time in a long obedience, and yet despite my age and despite my years of faithfulness, the intensity of his love continues to want to orientate my life toward him. For some of us, uh, it may be that we've pretty much given ourselves over to perhaps cynicism or the pain of disappointment where perseverance and obedience have, have long gone. But Jesus is calling us. Where are you seeing? Where are you hearing? Where are you experiencing God calling you? I just want to simply say this morning, I think there's three small things here. That we can draw, oh, there's a lot actually, but just three key things here that we can pull out of this story and this account of Saul meeting with Jesus and all of the players that are involved. 
some of us, as, as we just touch on these three things, some of us might say to ourselves, I don't really have a vision for my life. I don't really have a sense of purpose for my life. I don't have the detail for my life that these people did. I would want to challenge that. I would want to challenge that this morning because I think the scriptures do. Whether we are living alive into the vision and purposes of God or are we choosing to not moment by moment give our attention to his instruction for our lives? I would just want to challenge that. You know, right back in the book, the early parts of the book, when God was calling his people out of Egypt and out of out of um, the oppression of, of Pharaoh and the ruling spiritual dynamics of that age in that era, God called a people and he called them out from underneath those powers and into his generous leading and presence. And he then came to them and said, come up here, meet with me. And the people said, no, thank you. We'll send up Moses. Moses, you get up there and you do the dialogue because it's too much for us. In that moment, Exodus tells us that what happened in the absence of Moses up in the mountain talking with the presence of the Lord, the people choosing to not be in his presence you know, come up closer to him, to God, they then in, the, in, in saying no to that, they didn't just get on with life as normal. What they did was they built a vision for themselves. Well, what that looked like was they melted their stuff, cast an idol and started bowing down to it and then just having this massive drunken orgy. They just... All all hindrances just came off their life. Now, King Saul, a little later on, he says these words. He says, in the absence of vision, people perish. And what he's saying is, what he's not saying, what he's not saying is, if you don't have vision, nothing happens. He's saying, if you don't have vision, you will cast for yourself your own imagination of what you think a God should look like and you will give yourself to the pursuit of those things over and over and over again. That's what happens in the absence of the presence of God. We give ourselves over to the imaginings of our own preferred future, of our own comfortable destiny. Of our, that's, the, that's the brokenness of our humanity that does that. So in the absence of intimacy with God, it's not that nothing's happening. It's actually, I'm actually choosing to not engage with you, God, because I would prefer to have life on my terms. I would prefer to have a vision of life that I like, that I want. And sometimes we do need, by the grace of God, a moment where he literally knocks us off our horse. In his kindness, he breaks in to set us free so that we might see him as he truly is. 
this God of mercy, this God of grace, this God of rescue, this God who wants to set us free from our own self so that we can come fully alive. What's he saying to you and to me when we, you know, in a moment like this where we might be running around in our head and our heart this morning saying, I don't, I don't think I have a vision for my life. Well, what are the things that you are building in, in, in the absence of intimacy with God? I know that's a little up close and personal. But what are you building in the absence of the invitation of intimacy with God? So what, is, what does it look like when God comes calling? Well, the first thing for Saul was this. Um, if we go to that, he calls you to Jesus. This is what vision looks like. This is what purpose looks like. Personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. You have vision for your life? Jesus. Purpose in your life? King Jesus. He fuels, he informs, he shapes, he imparts, he empowers what it means to be a person, a human being, fully alive to God and dead to sin, as Paul would say in Romans. I'm going to choose a life, to live alive to God and die to sin. Die to stop casting things and life on my terms. And when we look at the life of Saul here in Acts 2, when God comes calling to him, the primary concern of God is first and foremost always relationship with Jesus. Always. It's not about being good. Not about being bad. It's not about any of those things that we would want to put up and in terms of how we do relationship. For God, the in-breaking truth is you need to know my son Jesus. That is the priority thing that's on God's heart for a life that's full and alive and has purpose and vision. Is Jesus Christ my king? Is Jesus my Lord? Is my life coming alive to God? Is it producing fruit in keeping with that moment-by-moment attention, dependency, and instruction from the goodness of Jesus as king? Is that where I'm living? Is my life a source of spiritual power and spiritual blessing to those around me? Is my life a source of grace and giftedness and generosity to those around me, the ones that I love to be with and the ones who I can't stand? And yet the grace of God flows through me toward them. What does it look like to live fully alive to God? Have you, in this very moment, heard Jesus? Even, even this morning as you we're hearing the story of Saul, have we heard Jesus calling to us? Nicole! Nicole! Christian, we've heard the Lord calling the Christian through that prophetic word. That was beautiful. Christian, Pauline, Pauline, 
Have you heard the Lord calling you this morning? God the Father wants you to be so connected to the Lordship of his Son, Jesus Christ, so that your life does have purpose, does have vision, and it looks like Jesus and his kingdom. God calls you to Jesus. Next one, thanks. Um, He calls you to his church. He calls you to his koinonia, to his fellowship of believers. Ananias, Barnabas, the disciples, the followers, the people of the way. They were a a distinct group of people choosing to live another economy, the economy of God's supernatural kingdom in a very natural and powerful way into their moment, into their world where they were living at that time. God calls you and me into kingdom fellowship, the body of Christ, the church. When God calls you, He calls you to Jesus and he calls you to his people, to be a part of his people in the earth. Because remember, there's no solo superstars. God calls us into his people. The Psalms tell us that God places the lonely in family, in context. Saul, in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples. He went preaching and had spent time with the followers. Barnabas took him in. He was brought with him into the fellowship of the apostles. And later on, all of this bore fruit in Saul, who then became, by name of change of name, Paul. He writes another, he writes a letter to a church called Corinth. And Paul says to them, he says, now remember this, please. In in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, now you, now when we hear the word now you, he's not saying you the individual. He's talking about Y-O-U-S-E, use. (laughs) Use. Now use. Luca would love me at this moment up in the Atherton Tableland, the Greek, look of the Greek church planter. He says that all the time. Use, use. Now, use are the body of Christ. And each, now that now he zeroes in, now each one of you is part of it. The whole story of the Bible is about God calling to himself a people who will be the carriers of his good news for the sake of the world and for the glory of his son. It would be, and it's within this context of being the people that God would walk with them as a group and that within that context, individuals would discover their unique identity in Jesus in the community of Jesus, and they would know joy and purpose. Perhaps one of the biggest challenges for us here, particularly for those of us here in the West, is our fierce and rugged independence and self-made lives. The call of God is to lay down our self-made independent life and take up his kingdom invitation to belong to Christ and be part of his church. The church is where we find other people, just like us, 
and even people who are just not like us. The church is where the spiritually thirsty come, where the sick come, where the hungry come, looking for their physical and spiritual and relational and mental health needs to be cared for. I do not get the thinking. Help me. I do not get the thinking that says, if I am sick, I need to stay away. Where every single witness in the Scriptures is, wherever Jesus is, wherever Jesus' message is being proclaimed, wherever Jesus is doing his work, the sick were present and they would come. I believe we've adopted a social and cultural lie that says, if you are sick and I come near you, I'm going to make you sick. So therefore, I have to live in isolation and wait over here. I, I, I don't believe that's the witness of the word. The witness of the word is wherever Jesus is, the sick are. I know that's uncomfortable, but we'll send our kids to daycare. We'll send them to daycare every day of the week and they'll, get, they'll catch every snotty thing that's going around and bring it home. We'll send them there, but don't go to church. Come on. Come on. The kingdom of God is at hand. Literally within reach. The outstretching of our arm. The sick, the paralyzed, the demonized, the oppressed. The church is where we're invited to see each other experience the forgiveness of Jesus. It's, you know, to grow up, it's easy to forgive people we never see again. Try doing life on a daily basis with people where you have to look them in the grill every day and say, I'm sorry, and you're forgiven. Let's do this again. Let's walk this again. Let's try that again. That's where maturity comes, where we have to keep turning up, knowing what we've forgiven each other of, and now choosing to look at each other through how God sees us. That's called fruit in keeping with repentance. Grow up. We're invited to see each other through the lens of God's grace and his prophetic purposes and plans. This guy, Saul, he's going to be my man and I'm going to use him to speak to kings and the whole Gentile world. What's the things God's whispering to you? about the people you're sitting next to today and how he's going to use them. And will you partner with God's heart for that in their life? The church is where everyone's welcomed into God's refreshing presence and purpose, where he breaks the powers and the cultural dominus, where only the elite get to play and the influences are the ones that somehow... Uh, we give our audience to. No, no, it's everyone gets to be like Jesus. Everyone gets to heal the sick. Everyone gets to feed the poor. 
Everyone gets to open their wallet. Everyone gets to choose to um, give their time, their energy, their love, their skills, their, their capacities for the sake of the other. Everyone, not just the special or the elite. The church is where the people who find themselves in relationship with God and with each other experience this power of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that rests on them in such a way that can only be found when they're together. The church is where the Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead is welcomed. We sang that this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're going you're gonna to understand, that's a big door to open up. I don't know if we really know what we're singing. The Spirit of God that rose, the power that rose Jesus' body from the dead. That very Spirit who lives in you and I who have said yes to Jesus Christ. We're singing to him this morning saying, You're welcome here in our most beautiful, tender, intimate voices. Flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Oh, yeah, Lord. Look out. Look out. Someone once said, I can't remember who said it, get your crash helmets on and put your seatbelts on, folks. Look out. You, you are inviting the power of God to come and interrupt your life. Oh, you're welcome to do that, Lord. <laughs> I pray that he is. I pray that the Spirit is. The church is where the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is welcome to come with great beauty, great redemptive purposes, and great power to come and heal and set free and give new life. When God calls you, he calls you, be the church. He calls you to Jesus, and he calls you to be the church. Be the ones who prioritize the gathering and the scattering. You're part of it. (laughs) You are part of it. Not on the basis of anything other than by the invitation of God. You're part of, oh, I can't come because I'm not good enough. Or I can't come because I haven't been behaving enough. Or I can't be a part of the body of Christ. I can't be it. And we self-disqualify all the time. And the kingdom of darkness is very loud at helping us with that as well. That's why we sang that other song. Lord, your voice above all the others. Your voice above all the others. You're part of it. You're part of the church on the basis of Jesus' wonderful invitation. Not on the fact that you had you brushed your teeth, you combed your hair, you, you were, you know, in your own terms, in your own scale of judgment on yourself, you had a pretty good week and you behaved a little bit. Not on the basis of any of that. None of that. You're part of the church because Jesus has called you. The Son of God has broken into our lives and said, now, come on, be the church. Lastly, it's this. God calls us on the last one. Thanks, Lisa. God calls us to his cause. When, when God called Saul, he said, go, through, the, through his vision to Ananias, he said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. 
When God calls, he calls us to actively participate in the proclamation and the demonstration that Jesus is king and that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the rule and reign of God has now arrived in Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's that plain. Proclaim and demonstrate. What does this look like? Jesus grabbed the scroll of Isaiah when he was first anointed after coming out of the desert underneath the grace of the Holy Spirit. He grabbed Isaiah's scroll in Luke 4, 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is our proclamation, our talking out loud declaration of the goodness of God's love for us in Jesus. The way we do relationship with each other speaks the way we choose to use our time speaks. The way we choose to use our money speaks. The way we choose to use our energy, our homes, our whole being speaks a proclamation about Jesus. The rule and reign of God, is, as if you read anything of the ongoing story of Saul, then Paul, and all of the works of the disciples that followed Jesus as king was this great, powerful work of the Holy Spirit, demonstrating the signs that the kingdom had come, where Jesus had commissioned his disciples earlier and now anoints them in the Holy Spirit, as he does with Paul, Saul, now Paul. That is, go, proclaim the kingdoms at hand, heal the sick. I think one of the greatest things that I've spent my entire life trying to do, and I think... I don't know how I'm going on it, but the Lord keeps asking me to do it. And that is, he's, he keeps on at me saying, would you please help my people to stop praying for the sick? Because I have not asked them to do that. His commission was, heal the sick. I've given my life over. And I don't know how many times I've had egg on my face and I've felt like a fool. But it's not about me. It's about Jesus, his kingdom, and those who need to receive his great touch. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom has come. Heal the sick. That was his commission. And cast out demons. In other words, confront the work of the enemy where you see it, arrest it, and tell it enough. Get out. And tell them the kingdom's come. Equip the saints, Paul said later on in Ephesians, to do the ministry of Jesus. I want to provoke us this morning. I want to gently remind us this morning that we live by faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't live by our ability to manage our anxiety because life isn't happening the way we want it to. We surrendered that over there in our baptism and we chose to let faith in Christ be the way that we would lead and live, not 
not according to our own anxiety. Where is God calling you in this season? Is he calling you to step into his cause again? I'm just like you. I have really tough days. I got stuff going on, just like you all have. Don't ever look at me like I'm somehow other than you. Don't ever do that, please. For God's sake, please don't. Please don't look at any other preacher or teacher like that. We've all got stuff going on. We're all trying to just, as it, to use the words of John Wimber, who famously once said, I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. We've all got stuff going on. And that stuff, every day, it wants to rattle us. It wants to disqualify us. It wants to shut us down. It wants to oppress us. It wants to tell us all sorts of things about who we think we are. All that stuff that's going on in workplaces, in our own hearts, in family relationships, in, in, in relationship to our our politicians, we've all got stuff going on. Can I implore you today in the name of Jesus, can I implore you, please trust in the historical witness and account of the fact that Jesus has come I'm not talking about an epic of Disneyland here. I am talking about the witness of those who stood there, touched him, walked with him, experienced him, saw him, proclaimed the kingdom and demonstrate it, and then go to the cross and die, and on the third day rise again from death and then barbecue with them, and then for another 40-odd days run around, teach about the kingdom of God, and then they saw him ascend to be with the Father. On the basis of their historical witness, please give your life to Christ, not your ability or my ability to manage our anxiety in this moment of the stuff we're trying to deal with. Trust in Jesus. That's why the first thing is, when God calls, when he comes calling, you want vision and purpose in your life, you want call, he will call you to Jesus. He's calling you to Jesus today. Not an idea of Jesus, not an epic of Disney. No, no, the man. The man, the God who took on flesh and made his dwelling among us, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and now sits at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning, and will come again to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. Trust in Jesus. More than ever, church, be the church. Why is it that you people, you Jesus people, why is it that you don't get flapped and flustered and go all sideways when things are going wacko in the world? Well, we're not trusting in the world. We're not trusting in all of that. We are, we've given ourselves over to Christ. 
We trust in him. And I'm laboring a point here, but it's a point that we need to be labored upon. Give yourselves to Christ and to him and him alone. So this morning, where is God calling you? Are you willing to hear him call you? For some of us, he's calling us freshly to Jesus. For some of us, he's calling us to understand, you know what? I am a part of the body of Christ. I do belong to this amazing, spiritually diverse group of people who are following Jesus. I belong to that. Proudly so. (laughs) And I belong to the work of King Jesus. To share his good news and to demonstrate his kingdom in the power of the Spirit. Is God calling you today? Let's stand and pray. Lord, I thank you for um, just the amazing account in the scriptures of of, uh, how you grabbed a hold of a guy like Saul and you used a bunch of your people to, to help him figure out what was going on. And I thank you that you're calling us. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to reorientate our lives around the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that we wouldn't be an aimless people or an aimless individual, but that we would be people of great vision and great purpose. Our vision is Jesus, our purpose, his joy and his kingdom in the earth. Come, Holy Spirit. As I was preparing for this morning, I felt like the Lord said, there'll be people here today that want who are a bit like Saul right now. They've done all that they can to sort of hold off the inbreaking of God's love, the inbreaking of Jesus, but it's just getting a bit too much. Jesus is breaking in today. He's breaking in. He's pushing through. He's making himself known to you. There'll be people here today who who are receiving Christ And they're letting go of all of their sense of qualification or all of their sense of um, worthiness and just going, oh, here I am. Take me, Jesus. Just welcome him. Just welcome him. Just welcome him. And there's there's a bunch of us in here too today that um, have kind of had our kind of half in, half out kind of, I love the church, but I don't love it. I I'd, I'd want to belong to it, but I find I can't. And God just wants to settle that for you. He just wants to settle it for you and land you so that you can be a part of his people, walking with him and walking together. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just settle that in us. Settle that, Lord. In your kindness, Lord.